Welcome to the Type Slay podcast, the show that is for women by women. Type Slay is meant for any woman who is looking to unlock their potential, needs motivation, or is just looking to find a community of like-minded Type Slay women. I'm Jane Dufresne. And I'm Carly Bell. And today on the Type Slay podcast, we have a very special guest, Dagan Weaver. Dagan is the Chief Human Resources Officer at ThriveWorks. And Dagan is a very special guest this month because, uh, as you know from the last episode, we are discussing all things mental health. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and ThriveWorks is in the mental health space. And so we thought, what better fit than to have Dagan join us for an episode? Welcome, Dagan. All right. So, Dagan, tell us a little bit about ThriveWorks. Okay. So, um, ThriveWorks, if you don't know ThriveWorks, we are a, um outpatient mental health company. Um, we started back in 2008. Uh, today, we have 267 locations across the U.S., but 80% of our sessions happen online today. So I've been with the company since 2011. So I've kind of seen, I've kind of seen the company go from the ground up. Uh, I started, we had 15 employees. We had a counseling office in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, but our CEO, current CEO at the time was in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I reside and was looking for someone to help answer the phones. ThriveWorks is a company where uh, we're looking to change the stigma of of mental health in the United States today. And it's something that I'm really passionate about, really easy to get behind. And I'm proud of the work we've done in the last 11 plus years that I've been there. That's a little bit about ThriveWorks. Uh, is it counselors that p- businesses are able to hire? Like, is it actual counselors? Like, tell me a little bit, like clarify that a little bit. Well, it's a little, it is both now, you know, we are every, you know, every person, we accept all insurances. So every person like looking for, looking for outpatient mental health counseling, uh, or if that that's maybe like couples counseling, you're seeking help for de- depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, we can meet those needs as far as like online help and in person, mm-hmm. um, but also we, you know, we have a B2B side or business to business side where we want to be that provider of mental health services to any kind of like corporate company out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can partner with ThriveWorks and we will um, we'll provide those services and we don't consider it like an EAP. We actually consider it like um, gold level services where you provide mental health services to your employees for free, unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like, the standard and most companies need to, you know, start moving in that direction. Yes. And that's definitely something that we're going to come back to. So in the beginning, you didn't, I remember when you first started working there and this, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to make it into the podcast or not, Dagan, but I'm just trying to also wrap my brain around it. I remember being a little confused about what it was that ThriveWorks did. And so, but since then you've now moved to actually having counselors that people hire. Yeah. So I think early on, you know, we had, I had Anthony Centaur, who was my CEO and who hired me. He is an entrepreneur at the, at the, at his core. So when I was uh, first, the first three years uh, in the business, him and I like were really doing a lot of different things to see where we would find success. So we did things like 
supported other private uh, private practices and like by answering the phones and doing their billing or the things that they didn't want to do. Um, you know, so we did a stint of where we went to a ton of conferences and we're trying to like sell our services there. But what we found was, or not what we found, what America found, what we know is true that like we have a mental health crisis and we need more good counselors to help like everyday people like you and me, Carly and Jane, like we need counselors. We need somebody to see every week. And that's what ThriveWorks is. Like we are that, those people to, to us, like who we want to see every week. Mm -hmm. You hear that, Jane? You need a um, counselor every week, just like the rest of us. Yeah. I need to find time to find a counselor. Dagan, so you started at ThriveWorks. So you, like you said, it started off in Lynchburg, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so after you graduated college, you weren't necessarily seeking a job in mental health or even doing what your first role was there. So, and like you said, you started, so if the company was founded in 2008, you started when? 2011, 2012? 2011. Um, yeah. So I know I was not, I wasn't actually looking for anything in particular. I mean, um, that's kind of how I came out of college was like, I'm looking for a job that I can feel like I have a purpose. I have value. Um, mm -hmm. I can, you know, give back in some sort of way. And I, you know, I did feel that with, with ThriveWorks, whereas, you know, like I said, when I started, we had 15 employees. Um, I felt like every person I was talking to on the phone, connecting them with a clinician, I was helping them. Mm -hmm. You know, I was only making $9 an hour and I had no idea that was <laughs> back then, but you know, that's where I started. And I think that, um, you know, my hustle and my grind, Anthony, you know, our previous CEO saw that. And, you know, I kind of did a lot of different things in the business and been, has have been able to grow since then. So but, you had 15 people uh, and how many do you have now? 3,000. So now we're a 3,000 employee company. Are they all in Lynchburg? No, we're, we're in 49 states, all states, but Vermont. So that's, an, you know, and on the human resources side of things, COVID happened and all of a sudden we employ 3,000 employees in 49 different states instead of just two. So that was a, you know, definitely a big, big hill we had to climb and figure out. But we definitely we figured it out because I do think the future I think the future is hybrid. Um, give your give your give your employees an option. Um, and that's what's going to work. Best do you everyone. have to also pivot your, you know, your clinicians and everyone? Did they have to pivot to also offer virtual sessions? You know, we were doing online before that. And I think that set us up for success. Mm -hmm. Actually, how I met Anthony and why he was in Lynchburg when I met him was because he was doing his PhD dissertation at Liberty on online counseling. And that oh, was wow. back in what, 07. So like he was, he, he knew like he was ahead mm -hmm. of the game. And so we were kind of, we were kind of set up for success in that way. So when COVID happened, we were able to easily pivot. Mm -hmm. But where we weren't able to easily pivot was our like administrative side of employees. We were all in office in Fredericksburg, Virginia and Lynchburg. Um, but what we found is, is like when we pivot and only hire remotely and open your open up your employee pool, like you're going to get so much more, so better, better, talent. better quality and better talent mm -hmm. because you have a bigger pool to pull to pull from. So it's she's been, using it's your word, really Jane, pivot. <laughs> She sounds like she's the pivot queen. Oh, um, I am the pivot How queen. fast did you go to 3,000 employees? So you started in 2011. 11. 
Okay, we have so- doubled in more than doubled in growth every year that I've been here. Like, and I, Carly and I talk about a lot, like where I thrive and where I do like my best work in is in change and in when we're these high growth, high growth type um, instances. So it's been really fun over the years. Did you have to figure out all the systems for all the different states or all the licensures you needed for all the different 49 states? Did you have to just figure that out? I didn't, but it, I mean, we did. It was never like just me. I mean, sometimes it did feel like it was just me and I was like taking on the world, but um, I always had great people working with me. But yeah, we had to figure out license laws because license laws laws are also different in every state and hiring laws are different in every state. Um, so when COVID happened and our employees were remote, that was a big thing. But also like clinicians seeing clients over state lines is a is a big thing that our legal team had to pay close attention to because whereas, you know, insurance companies aren't, they, they try to restrict, they sometimes try to restrict access. And I was going to ask you, so I, could I see someone in California? You could, but it would have to, like your insurance would have to bill correctly through that local insurance or whatever it is. But well, and some people are only hard. licensed in certain states too, right? Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the issue is the licensing piece of it. So like, um, for example, let's say I want to see a clinician in Florida, they're licensed in Florida, but they're not licensed in Virginia, but I sit in Virginia technically like my, I know my insurance wouldn't cover. I have Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts through my husband. I know they wouldn't cover an out of state license provider. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you started in a entry level $9 an hour position and now you are the chief human resources officer. So tell us a little bit about the different positions that you held and kind of what you think, you know, led you to being so successful in the company. Yeah. So like I said, I started like on very front lines, answering the phones. I was the second person in the company to answer the phones. Um, and I got a lot of value out of that. But like I said, like, the phones weren't ringing off the hook back then. You know, everybody wasn't totally bought into counseling like they are today, which mm-hmm. I'm super like excited about. But um, it was like I had a lot of downtime. So in that downtime, I'd figure out like the other admin parts of the business. Like I do billing, I do credentialing, I'd anything to help the business grow. Like I took ThriveWorks on as a business that I thought of as my own. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, so I moved, I, I learned all those roles and then I moved into like an assistant um, clinic director role, which means I was supporting a clinic director and supporting all of our clinicians. I think back then we had six or seven offices in Virginia, Massachusetts, and uh, Pennsylvania. So I, that, and during that time, I learned a lot about the clinical side of things, like what it takes to support a clinician. And, and, you know, we are in a very high burnout field. So how do you support a clinician um, so that they can, you know, have their career at ThriveWorks? Uh, from there, I kind of moved over to a, a director of operations role, which was over all of our, um, admin functions that support our clinicians. So Mm -hmm. that scheduling, billing, credentialing to see uh, so that our clinicians could see clients with insurance. I was over all of those um, teams and doing a lot of the HR functions when I was in that role of director of operations, um, doing a lot of the HR functions of the the people that reported to me and under them. So um, I kind of like fell into HR it was seven years ago. And when, you know, the person that was in HR, we had an HR person and then a recruiter at the time, the HR person like left with not much notice. And 
my uh, CEO, Anthony, came to me and said, hey, I know what you're good at and I know um, your competencies and I think that you'd be a great HR person. And and, you, and me, I was I was like always up for a challenge, excited to like make this work. And I've, I loved it. I've loved it ever since. I've loved I've, I think it's the perfect fit for me as a person. So here I am today with 3,000 employees and a team of 23, 25. And I always say, and I, and I actually met somebody on my flight back from Boston last week, and we had a great conversation, is I hire people that are better to better than I will ever be in, in the functions that they are in that report to me, because I believe that's what it takes to... Um, you know, be the best you can be. I, I support them and I try to be the best leader I can to them, but they are the the experts in their role. And yes. I, I will always defer to them on that. Yes, I totally agree with that. So Dagan, going from, you know, it just being you at this entry level position and then going to you know, really taking on a leadership role, what did you do? How did you hone in on your leader leadership skills. I mean, I, I think that that's one of the hardest parts <laughs> of being a business owner or anybody in a high level position is, you know, honing in on leadership skills. Yeah, I guess I'd add on to that question. Have you, did you hold leadership roles prior to this position in other aspects of your life, which helped you then take on this role? Or did you just jump into the fire? No, yeah, I think I've always been like leadership has always came naturally to me, you know, and whether that came from being in team sports growing up, I don't know. But like it is it is something that has always I felt like come very naturally to me. And I've had I've had a lot of conversations recently with like new leaders in the business and they're like, you know, how do you do it? And, and you know, my answer is, is like, just be a good person to the people that report to you. You know, that's really all you have to do is like support them, be there for them. So you have that standing weekly time, one-on-one a week. Like it's very, it's it's very simple to be a lead, leader, to show up for your people and and they all show up for you. Right, you be authentic. overcomplicated? Yes. No, I think a lot of people overcomplicate yeah. it. Um, and it's probably because they don't have those like natural abilities. Um, and that's, that's when we overcomplicate things. And I feel like as humans is like when we feel like we don't have it naturally, but not saying that those people can't get it. Like, I think they can. Do you have any tips or tricks for like leadership? I mean, do you do meditation in the morning? Do you meet with your team members one-on-one once a month to give them that one-on-one time? Do you have like town halls or like, how do you get, I mean, you're virtual with, I'm sure many of your direct reports, how do you get that sense of community to be a good leader and for them to build trust. It's very important. Have that one-on-one once a week. And as the leader, never be the person that moves it. Like, okay, if the person that, um, what I'm saying is, is if the person that reports to me needs to move that one-on-one for the week, I'm totally fine with it. But I will never move move that one-on-one. Oh, that's a good tip. It's my time that I, you know I've set aside, um, and it's it's something that I, 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 I it was a hard learning thing for me early on and early on because I thought wow we don't have a lot to talk about you know when we were a smaller company I didn't have a whole bunch to talk about with everybody that reported to me but okay you don't have a lot to talk about talk about your personal life yeah because you know we're a remote like you said we're a remote company now so we're learning like how do we 
how do we like fit these things in that we used to get from an in-office culture? Um, I think that's what we're learning now as we've been, we're two year, two, almost three years in to the pandemic and, you know, we're all of our, uh, all of our employees, 99% of our employees are remote. Uh, how do we support them better remotely? So you're not in the office at all. I actually am kind of, I'm only like one of the only people that have an office to go to in okay. Lynchburg. We have an admin office in Lynchburg where myself and a couple other people go to a few times a week. Um, but I have the option. I can, I mean, it's totally up to me. Do I want to work from home or do I want to work from the office? Um, and no, normally I do go to the office just because I'm more of an office person. And, um, <laughs> but, uh, this week I've been working from home because I've just felt, you know, and I think that's important to like have that flexibility, flexibility. Like I just, I haven't, I haven't like felt the need to be in the office this week. Like I do most weeks. And, but because you have those standing meetings, you're connected to your team. Oh yeah. Always. Okay. So that's the, thing, that's the thing I would give to people, leaders, is like, do the simple stuff, you know, do the simple stuff. Like you said, like once a week, always have that standing time, check in with your people once a week, like no, just have them know that you care about them. Yeah. So Dagan, leadership may have came easier for you, but I imagine in HR, you probably have to have a lot of really difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Did that come natural to you too? Or did you feel like that's something that you really had to work on? I think that's something that I really had to work on. Uh, I think especially in HR, like early on, I was a person that would kind of beat around the bush, like not and not say, you know, exactly what I was trying to say, but hoping that that person would understand, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Get and you, yeah. And now today I'm like, and that's what I would like to like, I don't want anybody to you know, like just tell me directly. And that's the way I am with employee directly with, you know, a finesse. That's empathy. Not, yeah. With empathy. You're right. Um, so it's, it's, it's always important to direct. And that is something that I have had to learn like over these past 12 years or so. I think approaching it with empathy is like really just like a good practice in general, because, and I don't know if it's too like our generation, that's really aware of stuff like that, because you know, where I worked at before starting Bellray Marketing, it was kind of like they would just fire people and it's just it's just another day, you know, just firing someone. And when I had to do that, when I had to let people go, I really took it hard. Like, I, I you know, when I woke up that morning, oh. um, I remember one in particular, I woke up and like, I just like reflected on it. And I was like, you know, this person's life is about to change today. And that's not nothing. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just was always really empathetic with those conversations. Well, someone told me, like, if it becomes okay with you to let people go, then something's wrong. Like, it, it should always hurt mm -hmm. and make you feel like a pit in your stomach. I've always um, said that too, as like, as the human resource person, you know, showing, you know, I have to kind of coach managers through sometimes, you know, terminations where they've never, they've never had to do terminations before. And, and I tell them, you know, it's still hard for me. Like, unfortunately, I have to do this once a week. And I'm going to tell you that no matter how many times I do it, it never gets easier. Mm. And if it ever does get easier, then yeah. you need, you need to get out of what you're doing because that's not a good sign. So it is always hard. Did you, I might've missed this. Did you get a, cer a certificate or a degree to become the human resources officer? Did you no, go back to school? 
I did do the all MBA through Seth Godin. That was in 2017. And I, you know, I learned a lot through that, especially in the time, the phase that Thriveworks was in that and, and then really fit that. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I've always been a person like if I need to learn it, I'm going to go out and find the trainings and figure it out. So that's how I've done it. But I've not gotten a certification or like sat down and taken a certification test. Oh, so what does an all MBA mean? It's an it's called like alternative MBA. It's like, have you ever heard of Seth Godin? He's he's a big like marketing guru. Carly knows him, but um, it's it, it really like said it, it's really like an entrepreneur like. Mm-hmm. MBA, but it's supposed to be like very condensed and really teach you the things that you need to know that you would get out of an MBA. Oh, wow. Going to class. I mean, it w- I did really get a lot out of out of it. Um, but it, I mean, I would never compare it to like an actual MBA or anything. Well, I went to a program at University of Richmond called the mini MBA. And so mm-hmm. for the, the year we would meet every week on Monday nights from six to 10. And mm-hmm. we would learn that one thing and read a book and learn that one thing, that one class. But in University of Richmond, they had an MBA that was specific to HR. So I wondered, you know, because I guess MBAs, you could like focus on finance or focus on IT or whatever. Yeah, you can. And, and you know, I know a lot of people in the field do, but uh, honestly, I just do think you get the best experience like in work. And I in, agree. Like, And that's like how I've built my career. So like, I'm going to like just I'll always keep talking about it but and and also find the people that are willing to like see your talents and like grow you I think that's where I've been like really grateful and blessed I've had people in my corner where I've seen my strength and I've been able to like grow and learn from them but also you know move up in my career that's amazing all right so Degan who is your biggest inspiration in your career you know, I've been thinking about this uh, since you sent me these questions. And, you know, there's been a lot of people that have been like super inspirational to me because I think that uh, I truly believe like mentors and like people are who you like can learn, you know, learn the best from. So number one, I'm going to say Anthony, who was this, uh, the CEO of Thromer, the founder of Thriveworks. Like, I know that I would not be where I am today if it wasn't from him and like him seeing like something in me to be able to like give me a chance way back then 11 years ago, you know? Uh, so I'm super thankful to that. You know, I'm thankful to, I think that mentors like, like you, Carly, you have your own business. And I think that that's something that I look up to. And I think that like drives me to do even more and better. Um, and some other mentors and it, it'll, it might sound a little cheesy, but like it's, we were just talking about my twin, but and my older sister, they're both in the education field and I see like how hard they work on the daily to make like no money to try to make a make difference. a change yeah. to make a difference. And like I think that if I can if I can have just like half of that and put it into like the mental well being of people, then then I'm doing good. So those are all those are all the people that I think have influenced me and mentored me to be like a better person, mm-hmm. a better leader, a better employee. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so we go ahead jane i was gonna say can i go back back to your um ascension rise to where you are did you lean in to get to where you are do you or do you think someone just gave you all these chances because you you had potential or did you raise your hand and say i want a special project or can i attend a meeting like how do you, you think you got all these different um opportunities I think it was a little bit of both. I think 
a little bit of I was in the right place at the right time, but also I am a person that will always raise my hand and I want to be a problem solver. I want to be a, I'm a doer and Mm -hmm. like I will get in the weeds in a second. Um, And I think that that is what has made me successful. And I know that, you know, not getting in the weeds is not all always like beneficial but it's it's served me well and like where you're I very hands-on yes hands-on like that's how I learn and I know like a lot of people that work with me and work on my teams they're hands-on learners too so that's how we uh better ourselves and better a team yeah I just well, think there are a lot of our listeners um are all demographics but I think mm-hmm. for those that are looking for ways to excel in their career or move up in the in the in the world working world like that's what i want people to learn from this podcast is like how to become type slay and i think Mm -hmm. you're born with it a little bit and then you got to develop it and sounds like you have it in you but you have to lean in yeah i think you're right yeah i think you're born with it a little bit but it does take a lot i think a type slay is probably a lot of grit and a lot of like determination and like always you know, and, and, and a lot of times, sometimes it felt like I was like going nowhere, but then all of a sudden it was it, this, this huge thing happened or and that, right. that made me feel like it was progressing forward. So I guess I say that to say like anybody listening to this podcast, if you like are looking for more, like, no, there are going to be time when you feel like they're just like, lull, I guess, lulls or like, you feel like, oh, it's never going to happen to me or it's never going to be my chance, but you just have to like keep putting in the work and Mm -hmm. consistency is like the key to so much success to like be consistent in everything you do. And it will, I mean, it'll, if you're a good person, it'll always, it'll always turn around in in the right way. And I think too, Jane, like the question that you asked, like Jadegan, you mentioned earlier though, like when you were at that entry level position, you had free time, but you didn't just sit there and like draw pictures on paper. You said you went above and beyond to learn billing, to learn scheduling, like to use your time there and to learn all of these other positions too. I mean, there's a lot of people that would not do that. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of people that would be texting on their phone or, you know, watching Netflix or, you know, whatever, and not take the initiative to do that. So why not (laughs) learn something new or, um, you know, just build build my expertise and help somebody else, then want to do that. And I think people notice that. I mean, I'm a leader and I, I definitely notice what people are doing in their downtime. And um, and you do tend to look at the people that are making the effort and you're like, okay, on the next project, that's who I'm going to pull onto the team because I know that person is going to get me the result that's going to make the project better, successful, and then my boss will be more mm-hmm. successful and it just trickles down. So even if you're doing it kind of behind the scenes, people notice. Right. I think you're right. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. So we talked about this earlier. You know, we I think we kind of touched on it. Like, what is the most difficult thing about working in HR? And it sounds like the termination process. But what is the best thing about working in HR? There's no day that is the same for me. Like, I think that's what I enjoy most about HR is like, okay, yes, I go into every day knowing like the main goal and like what I have going on for the day, but there's always going to be this something out of left field that kind of throws me. And I think that that is what I enjoy most. That challenge is what I enjoy most about HR and also just being able to support our people, Um, you know. I think we've had a little bit of a shift since since the pandemic of 
this is an employee workforce right now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, employers have to figure out like, how are you going to be the best employer for your employee? And that's super exciting for me. Whereas like before, early on in my career, I was probably like, how can I save this company the most money by like not giving to the employees? But now I realize like, that's how you're going to make your biggest return and investment is by giving back to your employees. And while it's hard to measure, it's very hard to measure, but I think that by giving back to your employees is what's going to, you know, impact your bottom line the most. And I think more companies need to realize that and realize what they like the people that they have working for them. I actually would love to like delve into that. Um, We'll not specifically name the company that I work for, but safe to say it's an older company it has a lot of white males that run it and they are not empathetic and we've had to kind of force their hand to become even move the needle a little bit and they're nowhere near what like you're, you're talking about it's almost like well if someone leaves we'll just replace them with someone that's more talented it's a better talent pool they just make all kinds of excuses for why it's okay to do the bare minimum for their employees and so i think you know, we're focused on customers and our customers being loyal. And we kind of forget that in order to get our customers to be loyal, you have to have very loyal employees who believe in your mission. Mm-hmm. So give me some examples about how you've shifted your mindset from the bottom line to the people and the ROI on happy employees. You know, I'm trying to think of some specific examples, um, but I just think about myself and like earlier, like earlier on in my career, like and how, like, I always, I put, earlier on in my career, I always put ThriveWorks first, not the employee first. And, like, I realize now that kind of took away from the employee. But it's revamping, like, like for example, we were kind of behind the curve on a lot of our benefits at ThriveWorks. So we did paid parental leave and, you know, started contribu- contributing more to their, in, to the uh, insurance premiums. But, you know, it's more than things like that. It's It, it kind of all like goes back to the story of like I was saying earlier, like leadership is like just caring about your employees. It's this whole thing. It's not just HR. And it is like a shift. It's a shift for so many employers. Like what you say, Jane, like I see I see a lot. And I, you know, I even deal I deal with it a lot. Like when I when I deal with um like our our business, I call it business insurance brokers, um, they'll they'll address our, our our chief legal officer in the room when I'm, you know, I'm sitting in the same meeting and I'm like, I do, I do all the work on this. So you don't, you can address me too, you know? <laughs> so it, it is like definitely a paradigm shift that I see a lot of people are like behind on, but I think that what we can do, what some companies, what the companies can do that are doing the right thing is just keep doing it and, and, and keep doing it. So these like older companies can see, hey, you're behind the times. You're going to lose employees for it. You're going to lose good people for it. And everybody is not replaceable. You're going to spend more money replacing someone than you are yeah. keeping someone. And all that all that knowledge go, walks out the door. Um, you know, I think from our perspective, and, and we're in the office b- business, you know, people in the office is very important for us. But sometimes I find myself, like if they're not vis- visual to me, I sometimes wonder how can I measure their productivity? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I trust you, get your work done. Mm-hmm. But I also see other companies with people that are flex, hybrid, and and I wonder, are they really working 40 hours? And then I kind of think, well, is this the, do we, the 40 hour work week was from when people worked on the 
whatever line building mm-hmm. cars. Like, so I am kind of old. I'm an old soul, old school, but that's because I've worked for a company that's old school for so long. I feel like it's ingrained in me where, you know, like Carly and I talk about like it's, it's productivity and it's your output. And so I've just, from an HR perspective, how do you, how do you address someone that says to you, I'm going to be out again. I'm going to be out again. Like it's, it's a pro, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but. No, I think it's a, like, it is all about like the management process. Like I've had people like get into situations where, you know, people are calling out, but I think that it, it probably has a lot, like a lot, there's always like multiple things happening. Like, to be honest, like if somebody's calling out <clears throat> more than once a week, you might want to think about like, what what's going they probably have something going on in their home life and it's like impacting their work and I need to like start to just think about them as a person right right you know? like that's where I think we miss it so much like so many people miss it so much they don't think about their employees as people and they are people where where they're gonna have ebbs and flows of life where there's great parts where they're just like oh great and that means they're probably going to be great at work too but there's also like it's inevitable we're going to have like tough times in our life or in our family life. And our, I, I, I truly believe that our employees need to support us through that too. Um, and I would have never like probably asked Carly, I probably would have never said that like coming out like early on in my career. I've just realized the value of like taking care of your employees and what that can give back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think all of us on this call have, have felt like the hustle culture and the hustle mindset. Mm-hmm. And so Jane, going back to the 40 hour you know, work week two, I, the place that I worked at before, it was very much like, you know, you got to be working like 10 hour days, 10 hour days, eight, eight to 10 hour days, no question. And I found myself just like wasting time. Like I look Mm -hmm. back on that now, like, why do I have to sit here for 10 hours when I can, when my peak productivity ends at six hours? Like you want me to just, do what with this physically sit yeah yeah right um but you know I think that we've all felt and Jane we talked about this a little bit the other day too like employers want people some employers want people who are going to live and breathe the work and you know they're going to live it and they're just going to produce you know produce and treat it as if it's their own but that's kind of that's uh, that's unfair but I think that mentality is is still out there and I think that that's how we end up with burnout people. And I think it can be solved with, with what Dagan said about treating them like human beings. Mm-hmm. It is. I, yeah. And I recently recruited someone and we never give people flexibility to work from home or special situations, but I'm, I just did it because I knew this person was worth it. Mm-hmm. And my, my mantra is like, I'm going to trust you to do the right thing and get all the work done in your peak productivity hours. And if you have to go to Johnny's baseball game or orthodontic appointments or whatever, like that period of time in your life is short compared to how long I want you to work at the company that I'm working at and be a partner of mine. And so, but it's hard to train your old mentality to be that way versus leave all your family stuff at the door, your mind for eight hours. That's just not yeah. realistic. And people are like, I don't want to be at a company that doesn't see me as a whole person. Right. It's just not even realistic anymore. And I think that is, and I know we'll probably get into this more, but I have like 
since like becoming a mom, I think this made me see that so much more. Whereas like, I, I, and then I'm, I'm sad that it like had to be me becoming a mom to see like what, how I can support moms better in the workforce. Like, you know, I just like, there's going to be days when your six month old doesn't sleep through the night and you are tired as hell. And, you know, it's not every day, but there's going to be days and sometimes like, you know, give you a little grace and, and to help you out family. I mean, honestly, we are like creating a culture at Thriveworks of family first and uh, transparency, which mm-hmm. I'm super big about. Um, and I'm excited about it. I'm like, I'm excited to work for Thriveworks, but I'm also excited to like help other people. Like you were saying, um, Jane, I think like if I could give any about any advice to anybody like starting to manage a remote employee, not only like meet once a week, have that that set time, but like ha- like before you start, have these set KPIs. Like you need five sets of KPIs that you're going to look at every week too. Or ma- it's not every week, maybe every other week with this person where this is how I know whether they're like on track or off track. Um, we use, we actually, I mean, we're out, we have outgrown it now and maybe you all have heard of it, but I feel like we catapulted in Mm -hmm. growth when we moved to the entrepreneurial operating system at ThriveWorks. Um, What's that? Is that from Traction? It is. The Traction is the book on. um, Oh, that's what Meryl told us. That's one of our upcoming uh, book club books, Jane. Really? Can I be on it? Because I feel like I can like bring so (laughs) much value. You can Um, be a recurring guest on the podcast. Man. (laughs) I'm telling you, like uh, the EOS and and what it teaches you is just like have a scorecard for every measure what matters. Um, That's another book also. If you want, I like measure what matters, but measure what matters and look at it week to week Um, and meet with your people week to week. And, you know, I just I can't say enough great things about EOS. We outgrew it, but we still like adopt things from the EOS model, which are quarterly conversations. Mm -hmm. And what those are is like I connect with. And everybody at Thrivers connects with their direct reports quarterly, um, just and on top of the weekly saying like, hey, what's working? What's not working? How am I not working for you as a manager? How can I better support you as a manager? Um, You know, what and just really candid conversation. When I first became the head of my office, I'd worked there for 23 years in different roles, but mostly in sales. So everyone knew me as the hard charging just like Carly, like you see what you get. I'm like bull in the china shop. And when I became the leader, I thought I better put my stoic face on and I'm going to be very measured and no one's going to see the real crazy me and all my personality. My big personality is going to be controlled. And people said, what's wrong with you? Like, are you okay? But I thought I had to be different to be the leader. Yeah, And I think there's a mix, Carly, um, sometimes I do catch myself being too real and I think that's probably inappropriate to like show that's too much of Jane. But I think people want to work for people that are real. Right. Yeah. No, they want to work for people that can show candor. Like I do think candor is a huge part of leadership and it's something that again, I struggle with. I feel like all early on in my career, but I, I read the, the the book by uh, what's the guy um, I can think of his name right now, but it was, a candor is like one of the biggest things you can learn as a leader. And mm-hmm. like you said, I do feel sometimes like sometimes I take the candor a little far. So I like got to reel it back in. But uh, well, especially but in I'm- HR. So I our HR head of HR is awesome. But I'm like, she never steps out of line. I mean, she's real, but she's never stepping out of line. And I'm like, how do you remind yourself 
to be, I would think HR, you've got to be perfect because. And I like, I do. I always try to break that stereotype okay. <laughs> because like, I think people like people that come into ThriveWorks also think that like about HR because they hear it, but of they see it at other companies. But I always say, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning every day. I learn something new every day. I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to land in HR, but I think it's, it's a great fit and it's what I love to do every day. Um, but it's not like um, this, you know, or even HR are these button up people that never do anything wrong either, because we do. So Dagan, there's a lot of college graduations happening this month. Do you have any job search tips for new grads? <laughs> this is a funny one. And it probably sounds like very simple, but pick up the phone, make a phone call. I think that we are missing like a lot of people that are coming out of college or into the workforce is and what I'm seeing is like they're scared to pick up the phone so they're only and emailing like, yeah only emailing or texting or <laughs> I don't love like picking up anything. the phone either I'll be honest with you I know you I, I know that about you but and sometimes you know I hate picking up the phone too like today I had to make a really tough call call mm-hmm. to a funeral home for you know an, an employee of my own and it, it was it was really tough and I did not want to pick up the phone but I did it and like afterwards it I felt better for it. Yeah. And you know, that's a very like I feel like that's a very exaggerated example, but I see it in my onboarding team today. Like we we onboarded like 75 clinicians a week and we have to get a lot of information from clinicians. And I have an onboarding team of like 10 people and they never want to like they need something. And I'm like, well, did you call? I know. <laughs> no, I haven't done that yet. I'm not, I say the same thing to my team. I'm like, well, what did they say when you called them? Well, we just emailed. <laughs> and they didn't answer I'm just like, just like call. And it's I'm so just... funny. Aren't people nicer when you call them? Mm-hmm. So if you if you call, that's actually how I met my husband was I had to call on someone he worked with, but that person was available. And so I got Doug on the phone and he was like blown away that I called. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how else am I going to like, Put you on the spot. All right, because I'm going to start email, calling people to make deals. Yeah, because if you email, they they're like, no. well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you call them, they're so shocked. So the new college grads, they need to call people for jobs. Yeah. And yeah. would you also say like what you did was you took a job that maybe wasn't related to your. Yes, to your field. Degree? I would. Gi- yes, I would give that like to that advice to anybody coming out of college, too, where I even thought like, oh, I, I need. I deserve this or deserve yes, something. Yes. <laughs> but like, just get your foot in the door. Like you're not gonna, it's not gonna always be the, the you know, this the train job. But I do yeah. think that it's like, it's like Instagram. You hear people saying, oh, I, I have a job waiting for me at, at whatever investment firm in New York city. And, and the other people are like ashamed that they don't have a job lined up or they're going to do something silly. And I've told everyone like your first job is, is going to be shitty. It's going to mm-hmm. be just a job. And yes. that's the whole point is to get some, in the workforce. Some of the best jobs for you are not going to be glamorous in the beginning. Like, I think that's the thing too. Like a lot of college grads like picture themselves, you know, and like sex in the city and you're yeah. dressed up and you're buttoned up and you're walking in and you're like owning life. Like it is not glamorous. Like my, <laughs> my job right out of college was not glamorous and that's just reality. Yeah. And, that, right. and we've, it is. we've talked about this before about how I thought I went to New York city and tried to get a job. And I was like walking down the sidewalk thinking I was whatever it wasn't sex and city wasn't even out yet, but 
I didn't. I got a shitty job out of college. And I like talked to Carly about, oh my gosh, weren't you ashamed? And wasn't there stigma? And she's like, no. And I think, well, that's just my generation. Like I, we were like, if you can't be what Goldman Sachs, then you're a loser. And I'm like, no, you just got to get out of school and get a job. And you, you know, got to get out of your own way, honestly. Right. And, you know, yeah. let go of the things that you've like been conditioned to believe that you're supposed to do and just get out of your own way and take advantage of opportunities as they come, even though they may not be what you like, what you're expecting. You know, Dagan, you weren't necessarily looking for this, you know, path, but like it served you very well. And, you know, ThriveWorks should be so excited that they found somebody like you when they did that's been able to shape the company, shape the culture, um, you know, like you've been able to do so much with them. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I'm super thankful to, to have found a company like ThriveWorks and a mission like that we haven't talked about like too much, but a mission that's so easy to get behind. I mean, I feel like that I come from a background where like mental health is super important and it's throughout my life. I feel like I have, um, you know, been encountered and family stuff like had mental health problems and things that we had to move through. And I felt like when I found ThriveWorks, it did just kind of feel like home and my way to to give back and and be an advocate and be someone that can like push mental health. And to be honest, it's been like the coolest thing to see since 11 and like over 11 years ago when I started the ThriveWorks, the stigma that counseling had or or mental health had. Like it, it, it kind of had always been norm to me because I've, I've seen it in, in my family and in my life. But like so many people, you know, I, I knew so many people like looked at me differently because of it. But like today, it's like, oh, yeah, I wish you, every it, it's normal. And it should have been this. It should it should be this way this whole time. Yeah. Everybody needs counseling. Everybody should be in counseling once a week. If you're not, I'm not. I'm not. But I feel like I told Carly, I've I'm seen lots of counselors, so, so many counselors through my life, all of my journey. I feel like I've gotten my fill, but I totally agree with you that everyone needs somebody that's not in their core group mm-hmm. that is unbiased and can give you the advice that doesn't come from a place of connectivity to you. Right. I just haven't, I don't have time, but I need to make time because mm-hmm. I think it would help me because everyone has transitions. Everyone's going through shit mm-hmm. Um, all the time. Uh, one thing our company, I feel like we're, we're one of your clients um, because we had a coworker pass away last year and Mm -hmm. he'd been with us for a long time and was a very beloved member of our team. And as the leader, I was like, what the F, like, how am I going to deal with this? And we had someone come in, a counselor come into our office and it was so Ako taco. Like we're all around this table. And I thought I I'm a fixer. Like if someone's not talking, I'm going to talk and fill the air and make everyone feel comfortable. But I was like, the woman said, don't say anything. It'll come. And damn if it didn't like come out and people started to discuss things and everyone, and we're a pretty traditional company. Everyone commented to me, thank you for doing that. That was so helpful. And I was like, 10 years ago, we would have never even talked about it, much less had a communal counseling session and then available times for people to go talk one-on-one I was like, damn, have we turned a corner on all fronts? Like you said, accepting the fact that this is okay to talk mm-hmm. to a professional and then to actually do it in a group setting at work. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. 
mind blown. It's awesome. So, so Dagan, yeah. do you think COVID had had played a big role in this mental health shift? Yes, I think it has, and I think we, I think we still haven't seen like all of the the shift or the like what COVID did, or like the the damage I think COVID did to like oh. us as a, a workforce as like at kids a population yo kids like kids definitely but I do think like I, and I think about ThriveWorks sometimes like where we went from totally the admin side totally in person where most of us uh work from home now like what is that like we're still learning about like yes there's going to be productivity like while we still have scorecards and KPIs like there's going to be productivity changes and there's going to be things like where the more isolation and more like just different problems to deal with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think those are coming up and we're learning the best ways to deal with them. But I think COVID did COVID. I think for years to come, we'll, we'll be trying to figure out like how to, how does the workforce uh, deal with the, the issues COVID brought to us. I agree. And, as somebody with anxiety, as we all know, um, you know, I thought I was doing okay during like COVID in like the last two years. And I look back on that now and I'm like, oh my God, like that was awful. <laughs> I feel and, the same way. Like that was awful. And like pat myself on the back, like for making it through baby. Um, but do you think, I feel like as a society, we suddenly had much more empathy for each other. Like, And I feel like, you know, did did COVID make it more accept, make mental health, you know, wellness more acceptable as a society? Because, you know, so I I don't, you know, put myself out there with strangers a lot of the time, like I'm much more of an introvert, but I kind of got to the point, like, you know, six months or so, nine months ago, whatever, where I'm like, when I would like see strangers out, like I'm, I'm just kind of like looking at them differently. Like, yeah, like we made it. Like we're like we're in this together, and we freaking made it. You know, like, like, yeah, like you have some sort of connection with these people that like you have no idea who they are. Right. Like, right. Though I do think that, um, I think the same way you do, Carly. Whereas, like, when we were in it, it felt like okay, this is ours. It's not too bad. But now, like, looking back and thinking about, like, all, like, what COVID did or, or has done to our workforce, the pandemic, and how it has changed everything. And, like, we just have a lot of learning to come. And we need everybody to be, I guess, open to it and open to changes of how we how we look at, like, our workforce and our employees. Well, one thing I was going to say is uh, we would leave space to um... – mental health professionals. And I remember the way they would design their space was you you have a door to get into a reception area. You'd go back and see the person and then they have a back door that you would leave out of because you might be upset. You didn't want to upset the new people that were in the waiting room. Mm -hmm. And it was also like a stigma. I'm going to see my psychiatrist and I Mm -hmm. don't want anyone to run into like in the hallway and say, oh, hey, Joe. Yeah, I'm coming in. It was it was very, it's like, that's right up there with going to see the divorce attorney. Like you don't want anyone to know you're going to see the family lawyer. And so now I'm thinking the freedom it gives people to be remote and virtual with a therapist is unparalleled to mm-hmm. changes in our in our world. Like that is, I mean, you obviously hit the jackpot with, with regard to timing, but what COVID brought in was not only mental health awareness and the, and the fact that we knew we needed help, but the fact that you can do it privately 
Right. And like from, yeah, like you said, the comfort of your own home on your lunch break or like you don't have to travel 20 minutes across town. Right. Um, Oh gosh. You know, it also gives you access to better therapists too. Like the therapist that I have now, she's not local here in Richmond and she is the Mm -hmm. best therapist I've ever had. I never would have found her if I, if I didn't have the option to do virtual. Okay. So Dagan, tell us a little bit about your experience as a woman in your field. And Mm. even if HR is, you know, female dominated, can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like, you know, having a seat at the executive table and if that is also, you know, a good mix or if you've had to overcome anything in that regard? You know, I I mentioned a little bit about it earlier, but I think that um, I've been very lucky to like have a seat at the table that I'm at because I know it's different than a lot of tables. Whereas at ThriveWorks, like we, we accept all and we have more women on our leadership team than we do men. So I know that's just unheard of. Um, So I, I, I feel very grateful and thankful for that. But I do, I mean, not that to say I don't still deal with it. Like I said, I feel like it happened. I mean, it's funny, it was happening. And I felt like, no, like the, like the other end of the conversation, they were oblivious to it as well. But my the person that they were directing to my chief legal officer, he he recognized it. Good. And he's like, he he reaches out to me. And he's like, I recognize that. That was weird. I'm sorry. Um, That's the that most important were, thing is the having the, having the advocate within yeah, your company. So they were addressing uh, the male in the room other than the female in the room. So I, I deal with things like that randomly. And yeah. um, I think that what I can do is just continue to like, speak up and have a voice in the conversation. And so that I, you know, because it's a lot of just unconscious bias for mm-hmm. a lot of, for a lot of these people. Do you think like, I'm looking at you, I have no idea how old you are, but do you think it has something to do with your age as well? Cause you seem like you're young and you hold a title of an officer in a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have a second follow-up is your place in the, the, the part of Virginia. If you're dealing with people in that part of Virginia, like I know that where I am in Richmond, it's not as progressive as like a Mm -hmm. Charlotte or an Atlanta. So I find that it's taken me a long time to build up a brand. Whereas I think if I was male, it would have occurred 15 years ago. (laughs) It's taken me longer. Yeah, I totally get like, get where you're like what you're saying. But I think that I just, I just like feel so lucky that I've been in a company where it hasn't been that way. But I do think like I grew up with this company. So I have a title where like, I do feel like a lot of people look at me like, Oh, what? And, <laughs> but I just own it. You know, I think yeah. that, that's what I, that's what I've done in a lot of situations in my life where I felt, or I don't feel like I'm incompetent. Like I know, I know everything that I need to know for this role and I'm willing to learn whatever it is or take on whatever it is, but not, you know, not everybody else knows that about me, but um, I think I just own it. That's yeah. how I deal with it yeah. is like own it and move on. If, if I hear people with like, they have insecurities about me, um, I just speak candidly and confidently and we move past it. That's awesome. So Diggin, would you say that you are an advocate for mental health and have you always been, or is that something that's changed since you've been at ThriveWorks? Um, I, I think I've always been an advocate for mental health. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, I feel like I found out at an early age, early age that um, my mom struggled a lot with mental health. And I'm never like 
scared to tell anybody that. Like, I think it taught me a lot about like how to deal with situations and, um, grow and like, I kind of had to grow up a little fast, but I got into, you know, the workforce. And I, that's why another reason I felt like Thriveworks was a great fit because I saw all the need that like, Every, I'm sure there was so many other people out there struggling so much more than my mom was, but she, she was able to get that help. And even though we had to make her, you know, there's so many other people out there that are just, just sitting at home struggling. So like, that's where I always go back to is my why, uh, my why's I want everyone to feel the help. Cause I mean, having mental, mental struggles within your family can, can really like break it down and break it down fast. So was your family open to discussing your mom's struggles? Yeah. That's, and we always have been. That's and, such a game you know, changer. I know it's different. Um, but I mean, we, we as a family were, but like the outside, it was always like a, a, a thing. Whereas like your mom, you know, not everyone else like accepted it. Agreed. As much as they did. Yeah. Um. So that was a struggle, and like, well, you know, they, you know, other people just don't understand. And I think that like working for Thriveworks has really helped me with that. And like, that's how I am. Like, making sure people understand, like, this is how important your like taking care of your mental health is. Like, you might not have ever been in this like terrible place or this place where you've seen like like I have, where I've seen like people change. But people can get out of that and people can be better and just be open-minded and um, accept the help and Mm -hmm. be better for it. What are some mental health practices that you implement in your life that you would recommend to others? I always get a good, I always try to get a good night's sleep. I, uh, I think sleep is like one of the most like underrated things that is the easiest thing. Just getting a full night's sleep is a mental health trick that is easy. Yeah. And everybody can do get eight hours of sleep. A theme here that I'm hearing through all of your answers is like really like going back to like the fundamental basics and that, you know, things don't need to be overly complicated. I was going to say, do you have a, I, some of the podcasts I listen to on wellness, it's like, I have a five to 10 step routine before bed. And then when I get up in the morning, I have a five to 10 step routine. I'm like, dude, I do not have time for those steps. But I do, I have talked openly about my obsession with working out in the past and how I would wake up at 4.45 and I would, if I didn't do that, I would feel like I had, was a failure. And so then I wasn't sleeping because I was whatever. And now that I've said, I'm just going to sleep, I have so much better. Like I'm happier. I'm less stressed. I've lost a couple pounds because I'm not, you know, tied to this overly stressful obligation. And I was, my sleep was suffering Mm -hmm. tremendously. And you just, and, and that's what, like, I feel like most of the time what happens, I feel like I'm like speaking like a counselor now, but like we put these stresses on ourselves and we don't have to. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I I have a friend that always says to me, well, her name is Robin. And she always says to me, like, what award are you trying to win that no one's handing out? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So go ahead, Carly. Dagan, are there any are there any other um, you know, practices that you implement that you'd want to share? I always feel better when I get up early. Like in, you know, having a kid now, uh, if I always get up before her, like that's just gonna set my I think if you set your day up for success early on in the beginning, 
it just makes for a better day. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's a practice that I try to, I always try to implement um, and get a good night's sleep. Like I said, these are like, like you said, simple things that I think yeah. we lose sometimes. How did having a child change your mental health? Well, being a working mom was way harder than I ever thought it would ever be. That was like, it, it just like blew me away. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, since I've becoming a mom, maybe we can have another podcast on that where like just being an advocate for working moms. And I think it's just as hard to be a working mom as it is a stay at home mom. Yeah. Um, but it did kind of like slap me in the face. I feel like two years later, I'm still, it was two years this week that I went back to work after having Kate and I'm still trying to figure out like those boundaries. And I, I have set boundaries. Like I don't like work at between five and eight when she goes to bed, you know, like that's her time. So yep. it's really about setting boundaries and figuring that out. But like talking about how hard it is, like, I think that's what I missed when I was like, when I was pregnant and when I was getting ready to have a kid, like nobody, nobody was real with me about like how hard it is to be in like the role that I'm in or, mm-hmm. or like in a leadership role and to have a young like kid. And so if I can do anything for, for new moms or people in roles similar than I am is just to be real and say, it's not going to be easy and it's not easy for everybody. And it's okay. It's not. Yeah. So talk therapy is what ThriveWorks focuses on. And what are mm-hmm. your feelings about um, pharmaceuticals or plant-based medicines for stress and, and all that? I believe that there is a time and a place for either of them. Um, I think that medications, there's chemical imbalances that medications are needed for and they have to be there. But also I think that there's a place for you know, plant-based or natural remedies. And, you know, I always would go for the natural remedies first, but I know I also believe in like total imbalance in the brain. So we need yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah. So Dagan, I've always admired your confidence and your ability to love yourself in what seems an effortless way. And, you know, kind of you talked about like owning it. And I think that's really like a theme in your life. And kind of when I mm-hmm. think about these qualities that I admire in you. It is kind of owning it and owning who you are and just feeling really confident in yourself. And, you know, we've joked a lot before about even like going out to eat by yourself because Dagan would go out to eat by herself. And I was always mortified by this. So Dagan and I were college roommates. We've known each other for many, many years and she would go out to eat by herself and I would be like mortified for her and just think that like, so tell, let's talk about that and talk about how you love yourself and own it and feel this confidence. You know, I, that was, you know, when you wrote that, it's like, I've never thought about myself in that way. Um, but I do think that it comes from my upbringing a little bit, I think, whereas like, and also own it. I think my parents instilled in me where you know, work hard, own everything you do, but also just be nice to people. Um, But I think that, I don't know. I don't know. You're right. I think it just comes from, I don't know what taught me just to own everything in your life. I probably take ownership. I I own things to a fault sometimes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. It can be like a negative thing. Whereas like I will go, I will like die on this hill, like 
owning something that might not even have been mine, but like just <laughs> might not even be yours else. to own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to own it. So let's go back uh, to going out to eat by yourself. <laughs> Did you bring a book? What do you do when you're eating your pasta primavera by no. yourself at the table? And, you know, I've just started doing it again recently. Um, no, I just like, I like being by I'm a, I've always been an, well, I'm a twin, so I'm not that much of an independent person, but <laughs> of the two, like I am the independent one. And sometimes I think like that, just being by myself, being my own person where like people would see me separately. I didn't bring a book. No, I would people watch and eat my food and okay. talk to people. Um, I love, I, I would love like meeting new people. Sometimes they'd sit with me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very extroverted, but also kind of introverted. It like depends on the mood, but I do love meeting new people and just like learning about them. Um, I, I made like a huge connection with someone I was in Boston last week for an offsite and we were flying back uh, from Boston to Charlottesville, which it's very weird to me for like two people to sit next to each other on a flight to be flying from Boston to Charlottesville because we had to connect in LaGuardia and wow. it was just like a small yeah. world kind of thing. And um, we connect, we just connected really well. I, and it's going to sound weird, but I do believe in like, you meet the right people at the right time. I too. agree. I and, agree. Um, I think that's why I have Carly in my life. Like, you know, I think that we are so much alike and her and we, her and I would have never met if it wasn't for Drew, like going out to her, my sister going out of her comfort zone. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. So the person you you rode on the plane with, are you going to keep in touch with that person or was it just like a time to... No, I do want to keep in touch with them. They're actually a learning and development like facilitator for Oracle, which is a huge company in Boston. Yeah. They kind of like 200,000 employees. But uh, we also have the same Enneagram. So I think that's why we like connected so well. But I'm going to I want to hire her as a trainer at ThriveWorks. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I think if I had time to myself, I would just be by myself. Like at home, I would make a bowl of like Cheerios and I just read a book. So I, you know, I, kudos I to you like for going out. Unusual for somebody like her age, like in college to go out to eat by yourself and be confident <laughs> in your own skin. I know. Do that, I am you thinking know? back to, you know, college days, I guess that was kind of like different. Whereas today I'm like, like oh, I'm on lunch break. Yes. I'll yeah. Go but you know, so like but I how, did it in college. Do, would you say that you love yourself, Dagan? I do love myself. Um, and I think that that is an important part of, I don't all, you know, I, th I think probably like most people, I don't always love myself, but I always like when I, when I feel those feelings, I have like positive, maybe not everybody does this, but I do like positive self-talk, like where I'm like, you did this, you did this and you did this and you did this where I'll talk myself up. Um, but I, I, I do like, I do think confidence has brought me a lot in life whereas even though I feel like I'm not an overconfident person I don't know it's hard to explain well Carly I always remember what she said on one of the original podcasts about you, you say yourself oh, you're dumb or you can't do something and then you write down the proof of why that's not true like clearly I'm this this and this so I couldn't mm -hmm. be dumb or whatever and it's just right. such a good technical skill if you don't feel like being a positive person right. towards yourself you could say well let me just write down the facts it's factual right um 
which I think is a really good tip for everyone out there. So Dagan, being in your role and being you know, young to hold the title that you hold, have you dealt with imposter syndrome? And if so, how have you overcome that? I think I, I deal with imposter syndrome daily where I feel like, you know, well, I mean, uh, you know, I feel like any other, any other person from the outside that would be in the role that I'm in now, I know it had way more experience and way, you know, more expertise. But I think that what I bring to ThriveWorks is exactly what ThriveWorks needs. And I know that. And um, I work for some really great people and work with some really great people. Um, and I'm thankful for that. But I think how, again, how you deal with imposter syndrome is positive self-talk. Like nobody is going to do it better than me. I know I can do this, but like, I know I'm going to come out on top kind of thing, you know, like that's like that. I think, you know, above all else, like if any kind of confidence I have in myself, as I know, no matter what, like I'm, I'm going to like be able to make it through or make it like better because mm -hmm. of it. Like I just, I do have that confidence in myself. And if, if, it, and if it's not that way, then it wasn't meant to be. Do you have someone, I know we've talked about counseling, but do you have someone in your inner circle? Is it your twin sister that when you're having a bad day or you're feeling like you can't do this or it's over, you're, it's too much. Do you call, you have someone you call? Yes. But also I feel like, um, I mean, if you know, if you knew like my personality, like I just, I don't, I really don't get to those points a lot. Okay. I don't let myself get to those points. Yeah. Whereas like, I um, am a very like even killed person or try to be an even kill person um, down. Uh, but if it was, I mean, I would, I would call my twin. Yes. But it depends on the situation. Like it might be Carly because it depends on like what it is and who I know can like mm -hmm. relate the most in the situation. You have a camp, you, you have, I call it a campfire circle of, yeah. of close people. It doesn't have to be women, but close people that you count on to keep you sane and give you support. For sure. But it's definitely, it's a small circle. Yeah. The circle gets smaller as you get older, man. Nobody prepared me for that. <laughs> no. And also how hard it is to make friends the older you get. So, Dagan, do you think we as women can have it all? You know, I, this is the question that I've really been like that I saw and that I've really been thinking about a lot because I think personally, like within myself, I think like knowing like because I'm a go getter and I want to go get everything. I think women can have it all. But knowing the way that our system is set up for working mothers and it's just will never be if it stays if it stays the way it is today it'll just never be fair for the the men or, or or whoever it is the other part of the person that's not birthing the child like will always have the one up because they're going to be there I don't know it's it, it it's hard to explain but it's something that I've been, I've like thought about and seen a lot ever since I took my attorney leave. I only took eight weeks um, because I was like, I was like, oh my God, I can't be gone for 12 weeks. Are you crazy? Like, like I will be, feel like I'm out in left field. And like, and that's not, it's no fault of like Roberts as a company. I think this is like every company where society, it's society, like the, the, per the birthing parent 
like has to take this time off. And yes, I should have took more time off because it's definitely a life change, but like, it's never going to be that way for the other person. I think that's something that as a society that I don't know how, how we fix it or what we, how, how we move forward. But until that is changed, women will never be able to have it all in the workforce or be able to have it the same way. I heard uh, on a podcast recently, this couple that both Carl and I listen to their podcast and they're both working parents, obviously. And she made a comment that no one ever asks him whether he has a nanny to help with the kids, but seeing her at work, they say, Oh, do you have a nanny? But they don't Mm -hmm. ask the men. Do you have a nanny? It's just bizarre how Mm -hmm. it's just probably because they assume that it's the wife or a significant other. That's the nanny. Right. Or or what is it like to be a working mom? No one ever asks, what is it like to be a working dad? Because that's it's just, just expected. weird. It is weird. Mm-hmm. So we I think that that's changing. Kind of I, I feel like that's changing and, and is going to continue to change with the younger generations. You know, Generation yes. Alpha, Gen Z. Like, I think that there is going to be more and more shifts with that. Because I think that, you know, even you know, us as millennials, we have a lot of awareness. And I think that that's just going to continue. I have a lot of faith in the younger generations and the difference that they're going to make on on things like that. Yeah. So when I had my kids, the father of my kids was with me in, the, in all night long. I was in labor. I had the babies at 630 in the morning. I mean, he settled me into the room and then he went to work, not even one day off. Mm-hmm. And now I see men taking weeks of paternity leave. And I'm thankful. I'm like, well, they deserve that. Men should have the, not the stigma of having to just, oh, I didn't do the labor, so I'm not going to, but they have to have the bonding time too. And so I do Mm -hmm. think it's changing and and people, but sometimes I'm like, they're out of the office on paternity leave. And then I'm like, stop it, Jane, stop it. Like, this is what we want is this Mm -hmm. equality of everyone sharing. Because part of the postpartum stuff that I went through was being alone at home with two babies. I had like mastitis, whatever it's called. No one's there to help me. Mm -mm. Like it was awful. And I think that was because the stigma was the man didn't do the birthing. So he has to go back to work immediately. Yeah. I mean, my husband took two weeks off when I had Kate and I always felt like, I wish, I mean, I wanted, I wanted him to be there longer, but also like, I just think that, I don't know. More support for like new working moms. I do do feel like I was like kind of just I felt like I was figuring it out on my own kind of it's, thing. It's something that I think about a lot that causes me a lot of stress just being a, in the position that I'm a- in as a business owner. Yeah. And also with Evan, you know, being the other owner in the company, my husband. So, you know, that's kind of a fear of mine is like what's going to happen when we get pregnant and have a baby And, you know, fortunately, we've been growing our team and also, you know, strategically growing our team, knowing that, you know, hopefully that's on the horizon sometime soon. But, you know, golly, that scares the crap out of me when I think about, you know, having a child and how that's going to disrupt life as we know it, really. Mm -hmm. But also you you can like you can implement things for you and your team where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to be family first where you know i have team members where i mean i can't do this because i can't focus enough to to be able to do this where like their kids are running around the background and like the nanny's 
following around, following them around, but they're in this meeting with me, um, you know, and it's just being okay with like being flexible with situations as long as, as long as like you, I always say the employee, I feel like that sounds very corporate but it is, um, as long as the employee is like bringing their best self, being able to bring their best self forward and also like meeting their uh, KPIs or like the duties of their job, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carly, you just have to have your baby in December when you normally like, take some time off anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. Or I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to take how- a village for this household. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't oh, yeah. wait. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Me too. So, Megan, um, um, it sounds like to to simplify that a little bit about, you know, can women have it all? You think that you want to say yes because you're a go-getter and you're a high achiever and you want to say yes, women can have it all, but you don't feel like society sets us up to be able to have it all. Right. Yeah, I think you're, that's exactly um, how I would summarize it is, mm-hmm. well, you know, I consider and say, oh, yes, I want women to have it all. Go, go, go. I just don't think that our society is set up that way. Mm. What makes you feel, what makes you feel like a type slay woman? It's pretty type <laughs> slay to go out to eat by yourself. <laughs> is it? It's pretty type slay to have the title you are and I know, and I, career. And, and, and I'm thankful for my career and I'm, I'm all, I've never been in like a title person. Yes. Yes. That was one of the things that I had jotted down that I wanted to talk to you about yeah. it, because Jane, we talked about having a whole other episode about this. Mm-hmm. You have always, like, Dagan, you have always been somebody that doesn't care about the title. And now you mm-hmm. have this massive title. So tell us why you think it's important to have that mentality. I think it's important to have that mentality because, you know, your people are going to see it. Like, I think that, um, I hate talking about myself, but like, I think that, like, People feel comfortable connecting with me at ThriveWorks or like I get so many reach outs every day. And that's what I want. I want to be. I want to be that person. Approachable. 3,000 employees. Yeah. I always want to be approachable and I always want to be the person like I still do orientations like every two weeks I'll present on like comp and benefits at ThriveWorks to all of our new um, hires coming in because that was like one of my favorite things. Like when I first got into HR is like getting to meet every single person that came through the door. And I feel like that's my little way of like getting back um, to doing that. But yeah, because I think it's about like the meaningful work that you're doing. Like you don't really yes. care, like call you what call you whatever you want, as long as you're doing good, meaningful work and showing up mm-hmm. for people. That's really all that matters. It is. And like, that's when I feel like I'm giving back and value. I don't know. Which means you're, that's when you feel like you're type slay. Type slay. Yes. What um, do you think of the name type slay, Dagan? Do you like it? I do love the name type slay. <laughs> I mean, I think type slay is, it can also be different, like, and different in different phases of your life. Yeah. Because like, I think about myself, like I probably, I mean, I've alluded to, I think over the years and over my career, I've definitely like changed my approach when it came to like employee and employee wellness and employee care. Like, I don't know, I guess I used to think it like used to be cool to be a hard ass, but now it's, it's, it's just better to just care about your, it's the opposite actually. It's cool to be empathetic and, and real. Um, I try to ask this question, but I sometimes forget what 
are what is something you're doing now that you hadn't been doing that's making a difference in your life? And what is something that you've stopped doing because it wasn't serving you? The stopped one was hard for me. Well, something that I've started doing that has been very helpful for me is um, listening to like a book before I go to bed. Um, I don't know what it is about it, but like I haven't, and I don't do it every night. I try to do it three nights a week. I've been listening to, I think you've listened to this before too, Carly Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just like, uh, it's very emotional. Anything um, Brene Brown, man, is awesome. And she yeah. reads, I'm listening to the audio book oh, yeah. and she reads it and like, she kind of like takes it back sometimes where like, I think if you were reading the book, you would want to read this again. So I'm going to say it again. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's been really good. And something that I've stopped doing is like, stopped giving space for people in my life. You know, it's that, that want to shame me for, I mean, whatever reason, like, yeah, yeah. Cause I know that, and I know this about myself, like as, as, as a person, as a whole, as like, I'm always like out for the good, like the good of people, the good in like, whatever the outcome is, I'll never, I, I, I will never have a negative, like never want to do something that would like end up in a negative outcome for anybody, like intentionally. Right. Uh, I guess like, I know I always like want the good in everybody. So I think that that is. And now I lost my train of thought. No, you're just setting boundaries to keep people out that aren't serving you or yes. that are sucking the life out of you or bringing you down. And we're going to do an episode on boundaries as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's something I will we'll talk about boundaries. I think that once I had a kid, that's something I had to really figure out how to do is set like real boundaries and especially with work. Like that's when been the biggest struggle for me. Whereas before I felt like I could work anytime. I'd get up, you know, sometimes 6 a.m., work till 8 p.m., do whatever. But, you know, once once I have Kate, had Kate, I was like, that's not worth it. Like, yeah, 5, 5 p.m., I'm done. After 8, I might log back on to my email, but that's her time. Yeah. And I'll t- I'm here to tell you, my kids are ending their sophomore year. And the first five years were the longest in my life, but the, the past 11 I've, years has long, just, huh? it's just fast and furious. So toddler I'm, years are long. Oh. <laughs> um, so that's I, awesome. So I only have two questions left. Oh, we have more okay. questions. Shoot up. Didn't mean to wrap it up. I thought so, we were done. Dagan, if you could go back and tell your younger self anything, what would it be? Like younger self when? Yeah, I was going to say you're only 33. So, or wait, 30, you're 34 now, aren't you? 34, just turned 34. Yeah. Uh, so you know, if you could go back and tell your 20 year old self, your college self, your early 20s self, you know, something, what would it be? Or really anything, you know, the teenage years of being a girl, you know, is hard, you know, 14, 15, 16. What would you go back and tell yourself? Uh, I think I would go back and tell in college. Well, I think I would go back and tell myself like, I think right out of college, I did have this like super high expectation. So maybe like I would tell other people or tell myself like just lower those expectations. And that is really the the time you need to have fun in your life. Maybe that's not good advice, Mm -hmm. but like travel, like go backpacking, do that. Mm -hmm. Don't try to grow up too quickly. 
Look at me. Yes. I'm like, this is not type slay, but you only get to do it. It is type once. slay because you don't want to be my age at 50 and wish that you'd gone backpacking across Europe because yeah. I was in such a hurry to be a type slay and have a briefcase yes. and make a lot of money. I mean, it's just and like. I, and that was me. Like, I was like, oh gosh, how do I get in? How do I like start to grind? How do I get in? Like work the hardest I can. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I could have done so much. We're but, always I mean, just trying to regret anything, but we're always just trying to like get to that next level, get to that next level that we forget to just be present and enjoy the mm-hmm. phase of life that we're in. Yeah, it is. And I think, and I've, I've kind of like started to realize that more. I think like having Kate made me realize that like, enjoy it, just enjoy it. Stop like trying to move rush. to the next level or rush. Yeah. And so I'm thankful for that, but. So the very last question, what do you want to accomplish next in this chapter of your story? What can we expect next from Diggin' Weaver? Diggin' Weaver. Um, you know, I thought about that one a lot, too. I've never been a person that, you know, I have goals. I set goals for this year, but um, I don't know. I We can expect next more continuous, like, cha- I feel like it has been a change. Change in this way where like I see the 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 goodness in taking care of yourself and your mm-hmm. people and not like this like constant grind mm-hmm. because like and then like it doesn't matter how much money you're making or like what you're doing like are you happy and are you are you having fun I love mm-hmm. to have fun so like I need to have more fun in my life <laughs> amen to that Yes. All of us do. Thank you so much for all of the great topics that we got to cover here. It was so awesome to have you on as we continue to celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month. And you can follow the Type Slay podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Go Type Slay. We're so excited to bring you new episodes, special guests, and share real life advice to help you slay it.